Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the Wednesday, July 20th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast presented by Blue Wire Pods. And I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Jam-packed show for you guys today. Uh, we start things off here with Fangraph's John Taylor. We've got a three-parter here on today's program. Jam-packed, jam-packed show for you guys today. Um, but yeah, we talk all things Major League Baseball. We talk about some uh, comments from the commish on minor league baseball pay, play, uh, pay rather. Um, we talk about all kinds of uh, important stuff when it comes to uh, MLB trade deadline, the Marlins, their offense, and what they can do to kind of get back in the in the playoff chase. We talk about the Juan Soto potential trade and what that's going to look like. Um, first round picks that we thought were interesting in the MLB draft. Um, and then Ben Attende, if he's going to be a Milwaukee Brewer before the deadline. So a lot of fun stuff uh, with John, as always, talking all things Major League Baseball. Plus, we've got Rusty Wright, yeah, UTC uh, head football coach, and Christopher Powers of Golf Digest talk some live versus PJ Tour and then the open stuff. So, jam-packed show for you guys today. Uh, thank you for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to the program. I greatly appreciate it, and uh, it uh, it's great. So, go check us out on YouTube. Got a new banner uh, this week, so the YouTube page continues to get uh, get fluffed up more and more as we continue uh, just expanding and growing the video component of this very program, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff as we continue growing that one. Read me, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Uh, that's me, sportsrenaissanceman. Uh, go to the homepage, chasethomaspodcast.com as well for access to all my previous episodes. Uh, you can tweet at me at chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. And as always, get in touch with me at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Tuesday night. John Taylor, Fangraphs.com, is here as he is at this time every week. John, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm waiting for the All-Star Game to start, the thing that we all love to watch <laughs> every year, the All-Star Game, uh, a game that people are definitely going to watch, myself included, definitely going to watch the All-Star Game. Um, you can keep that uh, that uh, public appearance, uh, that public uh, take that you have that I know deep down and I know off-air is not reality, John, but I'll let you have it because, you know... It's a positive program, and yes, look, we're here. To, not, we're here to extol Major League Baseball, not excoriate it. Right, and I am a firm believer. Like even just having lunch with a friend today, it was one of those things where I am a firm man. Life's hard, and if it makes you happy, like and doesn't harm other people, like yeah, I, I just I don't let it really phase me. If you're a big All Star Game home run derby person, more power to you. If that's something you look forward to each and every year. And you're like, man, I'm sitting my tail down and I am watching this all-star game from beginning to end. And I hope they go to extras because I want to see the penalty kicks essential, like uh, basically the penalty kicks for Major League Baseball with the home run derby uh, being added after the ninth. And that's your jam. And you're like, that's my Tuesday night. More power to you. Hey, I am not going to be doing any of that. And I could not care any less about an all-star game. And I watched zero at bats from the 
home run derby. And it's not because I'm trying to, it's just not my deal. I, I don't see the value in it. It, it. It's not for me. I am not the intended target for that. That's fair. I, I watched the derby because I enjoy dingers getting hit. Although even for <laughs> myself, like my interest level usually by the end of it is, is pretty low. Like mm-hmm. unsurprisingly for something like the home run derby reminds me of a fireworks show where the yeah. first five minutes are very like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the next 15, you're like, okay, we, we got it. We're good. We're good now. That's a good like, comparison. I it like does, that. It, it doesn't help that just the inevitability of doing the home run derby in this format in particular just means that these guys are completely exhausted by the time the final round rolls around. And so it's just always a little anticlimactic in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are some fun moments. Julio Rodriguez was very fun. Um, watching Pete Alonso do his thing for a little bit was fun. The man who takes a home run derby more seriously than anything on this earth. Um was that Watch. real or from the same day where he's doing the the hardcore workout routine? Yeah, he's, the doing the, he's definitely 100% doing the deadlifts in the weight room while the contest is going on. Again, he is so, so serious about the Home Run Derby and about being in the Home Run Derby and winning the Home Run Derby and all that fun stuff. Um, I, did, I enjoyed watching Albert Pujols um, sadly realize that he had to keep hitting home runs or trying to hit home runs that he wasn't just yeah. going to get to to just do one round where he went deep like three or four times and then get to sit down uh, the preferred activity of 40 year olds everywhere. So this thing, I, I mean, I personally, I find the home run derby has a lot more appeal than the all-star game, which is a baseball game, but where no one is trying particularly hard and mm. where you're not getting more than an at bat or an inning out of the guys you, you know, really actually want to see. Um, I don't necessarily know if there's a way to fix that. I don't know if that even really needs to be fixed. I'm kind of of the opinion that professional all-star games are like, well, what's the point of fixing them necessarily? Like they're, they're exhibition contests, you know, that what's, what's the point really? Like if you either watch, you either watch it or you don't either like it or you don't. If you don't like it. Okay, fine. If you do like it, great. Cool. Watch like you, like yourself, like you said, like, you know, if this is something that, that that does it for you, great. Like, then then why should we even bother changing? I mean, I think the only thing we need to make sure is that we never go back to a place where the where the All Star Game means anything. Yeah, you know, where it does not decide home field advantage during the World Series or anything like, like that. Just let it be a silly exhibition. If anything, I wish it could be sillier because I think, you know, why not? This is the one time a year where these guys just get to have goofy fun baseball and. You know, I think I mentioned last week that, you know, why don't we have these guys draft Sandlot teams, you know, or why don't we mm. have them play, uh, I guess, whatever the baseball equivalent of horses. Do they do that in the NBA now, the 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 horse tournament? I remember that the idea being thrown around for a long while and that the NBA said, eh, we'll think about it. But it's I don't know sad that do I don't it. know this, but uh, here's a, another peek behind the curtain, folks. Uh, I don't watch NBA All-Star Weekend either, so I'm not 100% certain on well, that. Well, it's, it's, there's fundamentally no difference between – MLB All-Star Weekend and NBA All-Star Weekend in that there's, you know, the Home Run Derby and the Dunk Contest. They each have their own games. They each have some level of, like, let's pay attention to the really young guys who are going to be stars in the future. I mean, baseball doesn't have a skills challenge. Although That genuinely is something I would really actually kind of like to see is watching, like, Mm -hmm. Nolan Arenado and Matt Chapman doing, like, a skills challenge on grounders to third base or, like, a double play relay challenge. That would be kind of fun. Uh, I would do an Arrested Development type thing where it's a shoot me from Martin uh, Martin yeah. Short where they Ooh. do that with a David Eckstein. He volunteers or, they, or something. Or they do it like an MVP 2005, uh, the video game where their home run derby was you have to hit specific targets on the field mm-hmm. for bonus points. Kind of turn okay. it into like home run derby pinball, I guess. Um, but I mean, that's the other thing is like this stuff. Again, it's it's the all-star game. It's all-star. The whole point is just to have fun. 
and to have, and let these guys have fun. And you know what? It, it, making trying to make this better is also like, well, how do you how do you make something inessential better? It's inessential. It doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's like if this is. I mean, I think there are definitely things you can do in terms of the scheduling where it's like, I don't get why the Futures game, which is this cool thing where it's like, hey, this is America's first really only exposure or the baseball watching public's only real exposure to the top prospects who in the next year, two years, three years are going to be coming up and making a huge difference. These are the guys baseball wants to start highlighting. Why is that game being played on a Saturday opposite regularly scheduled Major League Baseball games? Mm -hmm. Why is it on Peacock? which only like 5 million people have a subscription to and that you can't even get a subscription to in Canada. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. Why is the draft on all-star weekend? That makes no sense at all. I, I mean, it's better than when it was before the college world series. So that half the college players drafted were like, uh, actually I'm kind of busy right now, but I'll get back to you guys later. So why not just do it right after the college world series ends? It's not a bad idea. Like why, why are we doing it during the draft? It doesn't make sense. What is the, what do the draft and all-star weekend have to do with one another? Nothing like, that that have the like what do we like that's that to me is more the thing where it's like the the way we're scheduling that stuff or the way MLB is choosing to schedule that stuff doesn't really make any sense. I also appreciate now that during All Star Week we have our annual Rob Manfred comes out and says something incredibly stupid and dishonest in front of the media um, this year claiming. Would that, you? I was going to say, would you happen to be talking about uh, how much money uh, the minor leaguers are making and whether or not I, that is. Uh, below the poverty wage. line. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, I know we've complained about Rob Manfred many times on this podcast and we'll continue to do so because he is a truly awful commissioner. But one of the things that makes him a truly awful commissioner is how woefully, completely out of touch he is with pretty much everything. He just doesn't seem to... Either he doesn't understand, which I find kind of unlikely because it's not like Rob Manfred was born yesterday. Yeah. Or he's just he just doesn't care. And I think it really is much more of that one, because ultimately you got to remember that Rob Manfred's job is to take the flack that the owners deserve. You know, they, they don't care. They 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 would happily pay minor leaguers zero dollars a year if they could get away with it. And they practically do. He just so feels more of an empty suit than Bud Selig to me. Like it well, feels more empty and more hollow. If if anything, there are many, many bad things about Bud Selig, but I don't think you could dispute that he cared about the game of baseball. Yes. Did he always do things? Did he really regularly? Did he? He did a lot of things that would suggest he didn't care about the sport of baseball and then in fact made it worse going forward. And his stewardship was one of routinely turning a blind eye. But I think you're right that Manfred really is just kind of he's a he is just an empty suit because he, he's a lawyer. Ultimately, right. he was he was Bud Selig's chief attack dog. He was the he was MLB's lead labor counsel. He really has always been more involved in the dollars and cents side of things than he has been the on field product. And again, it just becomes abundantly clear every time he talks that he just doesn't really get how to promote the sport, how to promote himself, how to make them look better. He's unbelievably bad at optics and public relations to the point where I don't even really understand why MLB lets him go out and do this. I mean, they well, especially would almost- when you have like you just had a really really vicious labor negotiations and you're one, trying- one which he one which he acts like ML, like he and MLB had no part in making worse even though right. they were the the drivers of it getting as bad as it did and lasting as long as it did but it's also like those contracts are open we know what minor league players are making we know mm-hmm. what it they costs literally to live. just settled a class action lawsuit <laughs> over over minor league wages for $185 million. Mm -hmm. The level of dishonesty required 
to do that and then come out and say, actually, we think minor league wages are totally are totally livable. You like you come on. What could a banana cost, Michael? Seven dollars. Exactly. <laughs> it it is it is very much pissing on everyone's shoes and saying, boy, how about this weather, huh? Like it it, it really is something, and it's and it always and it falls in line too with with the other uh, habit of Manfred's, which is that nothing is my fault. Everything is everyone else's fault. I'm actually trying to do the right thing here. If only you guys could see that and get on board with me. It really is something. He's just so temperamentally ill-suited both to being a boss and to being uh, the public face of the league. He is very well suited to being the public face of the owners, though, because in that in the way that he is a liar, um, someone who condescends unbelievably so to to the people he talks to and who, quite frankly, doesn't seem to care one bit about what happens to the actual sport itself so long as it keeps making money. He's the perfect avatar for the owners of the, for the owners within the game itself. Just yeah, because he's not a fan. He's not no, watching he's not games. A fan of baseball. Every Sealing time at least watched the games. You know, Sealing watched and cared. Like this man does not care about every, baseball. What every man. time, every time uh, Rob Manfred says, "I'm actually a fan of baseball," and it should be <laughs> it should say something too that we repeat that he repeatedly has to answer this question of, "Do you actually like baseball or what, man?" Yeah. It's very clear he doesn't, or at the very least, he doesn't care about it in a way that you would ideally like the man in charge of the literal entire sport to be invested in it. Rob Manfred is more invested in what makes money than he is about Major League Baseball. I mean, on the other side of things, you have Tony Clark giving his press conference as the head of the MLBPA and noting, among other things, that, hey, we're not really crazy about all the gambling in baseball right now. We don't really like that bookies are following players online and, like, you know, that, that there is such a cozy relationship now between the sport and gambling when for a hundred when for basically the last hundred years, that's been like the line you could not cross in the sport was anything to do with gambling. And now all of a sudden gambling is everywhere because Rob Manfred and the owners realize, hey, we are leaving millions upon millions of dollars on the table by not getting involved with professional sports gambling. Does Rob Manfred care about that? Absolutely not. He doesn't care one bit because the cat, as long as the check's clear and the money, I don't keeps think that's unique in, to Major League Baseball, though. No, that's no, no, no. Idea. And that's and that's the thing. Like he's no different in that regard than Roger Goodell or Adam Silver or Gary Bettman or any other professional sports commissioner. Like they are all in. They are all. Their primary goal is the profitability of the league that they run mm. and for it to continue to be a money making enterprise. Because, as is the case with all the other commissioners, they are they are voted on by the owners. They are the owners' representatives, and the owners care about money more than anything else. So, no, that's that's not unique to him. But it really is. It, it's just gotten to the point where every time Rob Manfred makes a public appearance, you just kind of hold your head and go, "What stupid shit is he going to say now? Like, what what is he going to claim that is so obviously not true and so easily disprovable?" That he's just like, it, it, it's really not, I don't think, a good thing for Major League Baseball that their chief executive keeps coming out and saying things like major minor leaguers do make a living wage when minor leaguers make somewhere in the neighborhood of twelve to, or fifteen dollars to $18,000 a year. It's you just so that? insulting as someone who knows minor leaguers. That's, talk. It, that's like, it's it just, it, it's, I, I just could not imagine any minor leaguer who hears that. I, I just could not, I don't know, man, like the, the rage yeah. that a lot of those guys felt when they heard that it's just it's so like you said we could go on and on about how tone deaf and uh, asinine and disrespectful um that sort of verbiage and just flat out lying in that way um it's just 
you can say like there's just so many other ways that's why it's so frustrating it's just that like the old i understand that you work for the owners in the day but like this is still a sport driven by the players Mm -hmm. this is still there there are no owners without the players like you still need guys to want to play this game and you still need these minor league players to feel like they are they the people that are signing their paychecks have their best interests at heart and it's like even if the money is not where it should be they should feel like hey they're gonna try the commissioner is going to continue to try to work with the owners to fix this problem so i can make a a livable wage because i would love to be a major league baseball player or i love playing minor league baseball which is an absolute grind and a really really tough situation for most of these guys most guys are not getting the three million dollar signing bonus. Most guys are not in that in that world. The if, vast if you're, majority. If you're a senior sign, your signing bonus is what five grand, ten grand, something like that. It's nothing, and it's gone quick. Like it's just, yeah. I, I don't know. When I heard that though, too, I'm just. I mean, I've grown con- increasingly concerned about where minor league baseball will be five to ten years from now. But when you hear stuff like that, it's like <laughs> there's going to come a tipping point at some point between these two sides where it's like we're not doing this for unlivable wages anymore. And if that means we go down to like one developmental league that you pay a livable wage to, we'll go to that and we'll shrink the draft and we'll just do a triple well, A. And, that's and I it. think that's what I think that's what Major League Baseball wants. Ultimately, I don't think they yeah. want. I mean, they've already contracted the minor leagues. I'm pretty sure if they if they were given free reign to do it again, they'd do it again. Yeah. Like, but I, I mean, to what you said, it's like the it would have been so easy for Rob Manfred in response to the question he got to say, we are doing everything in our power to make these wages better. Mm-hmm. You know, we are doing everything in our power to make it clear to teams that, you know, they have to do these things that we, you know, we support these players. We want to keep growing the game. Is that a perfect answer? No. Is that even true? Man, it depends on your definition of true. Instead, he just takes the opportunity to lie, insult and shit all over people. Yeah. It's, it, it is like Manfred is like, if you could just, if you could create someone to just give the worst and most incorrect possible answer at any given time, it, it's like he does make does, is there no media training for him? Like, or, or is, have his, have his handlers and, and flack people just given up at this point, you know, especially when you can, when you add into the fact that Manfred is someone who once he gets, he, he does not hold his temper. Well, he just gets so immediately pissy and defensive. He is so, so bad at being the public face of the sport and on top of that, now he's like every I mean, the the majority, if not the entirety of the player body, not just Major League Baseball, not just Minor League Baseball, the major leaguers too, think he's just a lying snake like that. That is all like it is no wonder that things were so bad during that lockout. We're going to get the same thing happening again in 2026 or whenever it is that the, the, the CBA comes up for renegotiation. I assume it's already happening now during these negotiations between the league and the Players Association about the international draft and about the rule changes that they want to implement with regards to uh, the shift, with regards to the pitch clock, with regards to other stuff, that the vibe already seems to be that the league is not really meeting the players uh, where the players kind of want things to be, which, again, ultimately, like you said, this is a this is a sport where if it weren't for the players, none of this would exist. You know? They are, they are the reason that this whole thing operates, the, whole re- the reason that all of these people make money in the first place. You, know, you don't want guys it. walking away because they're like as potential superstars down the line because they were just like, I, I didn't make it up. I couldn't do but that's, it with my that's family. The thing. You're, you're already doing that by contracting the minor leagues. You're already mm. doing that by eliminating entire developmental leagues. You're already doing that by uh, one thing I, I, I hope or that really should continue to get press everywhere 
uh, Tony Clark was asked about travel ball mm. and he said it's a disaster. It is actively bad for baseball the way that travel ball works now, which is that only basically only rich kids can afford to play baseball at the competitive level required basically to become major league players. Mm-hmm. That's really, really, really bad. And I know that that you know my, that uh, youth baseball is one thing that MLB genuinely does care about and try to do better in. But at the same time, again, because of the fact that travel ball and all those private things make a lot of money, like that, and also, I mean MLB doesn't control those things necessarily either. But there just doesn't seem to be much of an investment or much of an interest in what is good for baseball, not what is good mm-hmm. for for major league for major league baseball's revenues, not what is good for the owners, not what is good for Rob Manfred. What's good for baseball? Because what's good for baseball is a youth baseball system that is fair and inclusive. It's a minor league system where everyone gets an opportunity to play and to develop while being paid a fair wage. It's a major league baseball where players are paid a fair wage, where there's no service time shenanigans, where there's none of that stuff, where games are easy to watch. They're readily available where stuff like the Futures game isn't shunted onto a streaming network on a Saturday afternoon for for only the most hardcore weirdos to go find it. Like, again, none of this stuff seems to be... It's, it's a league where that we're... And I, I understand, too. That Would this, you leave this, a sicko's house if you walked in on Saturday and they had that on it? And you're like, how did you know where that was? And, like, it, that's a that's a huge red flag for anyone I mean, who just knew where I mean, to be fair, I, I work with people who would have that on. I mean, Hold on, not our... people you work with. We're not talking about those people, the people that cover baseball for a living. I'm talking about you go to a random friend of yours house or you just meet uh, the significant others. Like, let's go over to this so-and-so's house and they have that on and it's ready to go and it's like they did not have to look at all and they were ready. Are you concerned? You're, you're walking out. You're I turning mean, around. I'm, you're in I'm the Simpsons definitely game. confused because I would be like, how did you know the Futures game was on? Like, Yeah. Um, they just don't market it well. Like that was something that was just completely. No, missing. it's not. It's not marketed well at all. None of this is marketed well. Nothing. But this about is super is easy. Well this is the this most point. frustrating part. Is that like it's right there. There's a really good piece uh, from earlier this year. I remember, and I just pulled this back up. Uh, I'm a minor league pitcher. I'm a minor league pitcher. Why? Why can't baseball pay a living wage? By Simon uh, Rosenblum Larson. He talks about all of that and his salary and the grind. But it's also just like right here uh, from the Athletic uh, this past year where, man, this is July 19th that, that this came out. The average player salary for a minor league player was $6,000 in single A, 9350 in double A, and 15000 in triple A in 2018. If you compare that to what the G League salary is, which another league that is under a lot of fire for how much they're paying wages, and it's gone up a little bit, but not a livable wage, is 37000 Like that there's just the numbers are there they're just there yes and we know readily easily available and like not only that but like this is not an opinion thing like that's no, what and, and, this and is the not one that, of the the fact that rob manfred says this when there are numerous people in that room who have written stories about minor league wages and the pay disparity they're just sitting right there who just know immediately and i, I almost wish there were an opportunity for one of the raise their hand and go rob that's not that that's what are you talking about like right numbers literally right here and like i understand that you know the 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 format i think of this of the particular q a process doesn't really let them do that but like it 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 really does just say a lot in terms of like you know i mean i just 
it, it is it is just perpetually. We need a minor leaguer and Rob Manfred just on a on just a twenty minute interview. Put it on TV. Just put the two of them in a room yeah. and just talk about it. I mean, the number of tweets I saw today from from both major league players and minor league players and former for everyone, major leaguers, minor leaguers, former players, all just like, hey, yeah, I mean, uh, one from uh, Cody Decker is like, I'd invite Rob to do what I did one year and live in my car and see if he still like, like rejects the premise. Like, yeah, you're arguing against objective reality. Or not yes. even arguing it, you're dismissing it outright. And that's the kind of thing where it's like, and I know he doesn't, that's the thing. I don't know if Rob Manfred simply doesn't understand the the damage he does when he goes out and says idiotic, easily disprovable stuff like that. Or if he just doesn't care because ultimately, you know, the only thing that will put his job in jeopardy, minus some kind of incredible legal scandal, is if the owners say, we don't like the job you're doing anymore. And to them, him going out and saying, no, 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 everyone is getting paid livably is what they want him to be doing because they don't want they do not want to keep hearing questions about, hey, why do you some why do you have minor leaguers who are living like eight to a house? Yeah. You know, and eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day for lunch. You know, that's they don't want to hear those questions anymore. And it really again, it really says a lot that the person in charge of baseball who is who is responsible for the welfare of the sport spend so much time arguing that actually the sport is perfect as it is and all the decisions we're making are right and correct. And if you have a problem with that, well, then the problem is you. It's 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 not just tone deaf. It's just plain old deaf. It is just completely closed off to the reality in which we all live, except for the reality created by 30-ish sour billionaires who don't like spending money. Go baseball. Yeah. I mean, that's again, the thing, the, the, the fact that this happens during All-Star Week, which is supposed to be the big celebration for baseball, and you annually have Rob Manfred coming out there and just sticking his foot in a bag full of shit on purpose and then waving his shitty foot around and being like, actually, my shoes are perfectly clean and I don't understand what you guys are talking about. It's it's really something like he he should not be the commissioner of baseball. Like it, it's just not something he should be. Yeah, that is how I'll leave that. Um, most interesting first round picks. Guess what? None of us are doing the the deep dives in the major league baseball draft. Shout out to our guys, Keith Law and company who do that for us. But I will Shout say out Fangraphs, Eric Longenhagen, go check out our draft coverage on Fangraphs. There you go. Absolutely. Eric as well. Um, but Tennessee cleans up most <laughs> players drafted of anyone um drew gilbert going to houston is like the most houston type guy him falling at 28 is just gonna be do you have like a big spinner curveball is that his thing no he's a hitter like he's brett gardner 2.0 this man is going to be an outfielder uh in houston and just be an absolute oh so tremendous strike zone judgment uh geared contact yep uh batted almost 500 for the majority of this year athletic frame with a Mm -hmm. leadership vibe yeah okay that sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, he's gonna be an all-star. Sounds like, like, it sounds like it's it honestly sounds to me like the Astros draft the same way the Patriots did. Yes. Except, except without Rutgers being involved. And it's weird because it's a different group now, but it still seems like they're following the same same philosophy uh post Leno. But yeah, no, I think uh I think he's in good hands there. Jordan Beck goes to Colorado where he'll hit a bunch of dingers, so good for him getting uh to Colorado. Like if you're a hitter, that's all, like whatever you want to say with the organization. If you're a young hitter, you're like, okay. I can get paid for yeah, sure. I can I can make there, my money. There are definitely <laughs> worse places to end up as a hitter than the Colorado yeah. Rockies. Like uh, now if you're a pitcher, you, I mean Yeah, if you're a, I mean if you're a pitcher, you should be allowed to like just say no. Just yeah. be like, no, thank you. I do not want to go to Colorado. Like that had to be like I, I know like a guy like Riley Pint was probably I mean, there was no guarantee he was gonna make it no matter where he got drafted. 
But you got to imagine being a teenager drafted that high a pick, but by it's by Colorado, you're probably just sitting there being like, well, I'm a bust now. Yeah. Like, might as well, but I better put every dollar of that signing bonus in a bank because boy, oh boy, Major League Baseball is not going to be the career I end up with. Well, I don't know why you don't just do the Kumar Rocker thing now. Kumar moved up after yeah. more questions arose. He goes number three to the Rangers and reunites with uh, Jack Leiter, his old teammate at Vandy. I was stunned. That was actually a stunner. It was Kumar going that early after it was looking like he was going to fall to the first round. Like that yeah, was bonkers. I, I, I remember reading a couple mocks. It's a, you know, I don't think anyone really had any good idea on where yeah. Rocker would end up because of the question of his medicals, the question of which team was going to try to, you know, deal with both him and, and Boris being involved. But yeah, I, I don't think anyone would have, I think everything I saw was maybe mid first round of the best and instead number three. I mean, that's, that is wild. Like that He's is got that talent. Like the talent is there, but it's, I mean, it, that's the thing. It's like it is such a huge swing mm-hmm. from that Rangers team in terms of just, especially because that was their only day one pick. You know, that mm-hmm. that was it. Um, I mean, I, I guess if you're only going to get that one day one pick, you might as well shoot for the moon. Uh, I did like uh, in our draft recap, Eric made Eric Long and he made the point that, you know, maybe Texas considers turning Rocker into a short reliever just to try to get those bullets out of the gun before it blows up. Um, cause I think the consensus among folks is that regardless of what his medicals look like, rocker is probably not the, it's his arm is probably not in, in great shape anymore. I mean, the fact that he dropped his arm slot almost 90 degrees is in the course of a year is incredibly telling. I think in that regard that there is something probably amiss here, or at the, if not a miss at the very least confusing, I mean, I guess that's the thing. If you're Texas, it is a big swing and there's a ton of upside, but on the other hand, it's like, boy, like you might be getting quite literally nothing out of this flat out nothing. And I mean, I know that'll be the case for a lot of teams in the draft because the MLB draft is probably the biggest crapshoot of all the drafts. But boy, like, again, that's your only day one pick. I mean, I and I imagine, too, like I know Rocker went somewhat under slot. So I imagine the, the strategy there was, you know, with some of those day two and day three picks to go for some of those six figure guys. Uh, and go a little over slot for them, maybe try to buy out some college commitments or, you know, get a or get someone like that. But, yeah, it, it's it's tough. It, it is tough. To just make that bet on someone where you there they're just are so many question marks right now. And, and I think, you know, I mean, the guys that people will be paying attention to coming out of this draft are obviously, you know, Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones, one, uh, two to Baltimore and Arizona. If, if not, if not because of the fact they went one, two, then because of the fact that they obviously are Matt Holiday's kid and Andrew Jones's kid, respectively. And, and you and I are other... quite ancient at this point now. Yeah. Seeing that Carl Crawford had a kid in this draft was yeah. really uh, Marquise Grissom uh, Jr. Mm-hmm. got drafted as well. Luke Collier's son got drafted. Um, it, it was a big draft for, for, <laughs> for baseball boys, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those. I mean, obviously, Holiday and and Jones are gonna. We're all gonna be paying attention to what they do going forward. But I I can't imagine that there's another player in this draft that everyone will be following more closely in terms of what comes next than Kumar Rocker. Because man, like this is either gonna be just some bravura work from Texas and their developmental folks and their and their player development group, or this is gonna blow up in their face within like twelve months. You know, yeah. it doesn't really feel like there's any middle ground here. We'll see. Um, there's also a middle ground on the Washington Nationals being an extremely bad baseball team for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. John, I feel vindicated. What have I been saying for weeks on this podcast about Juan Soto and the future with Washington? Where I was like, this man is not happy. 
and you listen to the comments this week and him just talking about being uncomfortable and um, what's going on with uh, the Nationals trade talk. And, you know, it's not fun playing baseball every day when nobody wants to pitch to you. They know they don't have to throw their best stuff at you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And no. there's no path to you getting away from any of that anytime soon. So when people throw out, it's like the Nationals are going to throw out one more uh, offer. And if that's not what Juan Soto wants, then they're going to trade him. It's like, it's not the money at this point. I understand that's part of it, but I think he's more willing to go down a little bit and it's going down in between like 450 million versus 500. But it's like, he knows there's nothing you can do to fix this. Like this is done. Like he is going to live in baseball hell for three years minimum with no help around him. Like that's just not a fun place to be. And I just, baseball is too long of a season. It's just too much for a guy who's that young and that talented to be like, man, I'm ready to win now. I'm a really, really great player. I'm an all time great player. I'm a, I'm on my way to being a hall of fame career. Look, I, I appreciate you guys. You developed me all that. You took a chance on me. It's all great. But there is literally no path to me enjoying baseball anytime soon here. And that's just the reality. It doesn't matter what number you throw at me. It's just not going to make sense for my personal happiness. It's a really rare situation because guys like this at this point, at this level, never come up in trades this early. Like this is unprecedented. And I just, if I'm a Nationals fan, I'm sick over it because you know he's just going to tear it up and be an all-time great wherever he goes next. And that's the thing, like no matter and no matter what you get in return, and and like you said, this is unprecedented. Whatever return the Nationals do get for Soto is going to be one of the biggest trade hauls we've ever seen in the sport, if not the biggest we've ever seen in the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. I mean, why would they be happy? So they can go through this entire process again if one of those guys mm-hmm. turns into Soto five years from now. Like I, I understand that on the National side of like. The learners probably will not own this team going forward. It's very clear this, you know, the part of this is that they want to sell the team. They do not want to be responsible for, you know, for a giant commitment to Juan Soto in the process. You know, they just want to move him, get out. Someone else can make this their problem going forward for whatever damn reason. It's also pretty clear that, you know, given how adamant the learner family has been in the past about not wanting to rebuild, about wanting to contend, I, you know, when Bryce Harper was on his way to departing via free agency that they, you know, they were like flat out, we are not trading him. It doesn't matter. We will, we would rather let him walk. It's pretty clear. The learner family probably doesn't have a stomach for that. The kind of rebuild the nationals are about to embark on either. Cause it's going to be a long one and a really bad one, which is a um, shame because they, we've talked about on this podcast, like there aren't a lot of good owners in sports anymore. And the learners, I would say is like one of the best owners I mean, in baseball. They, put the money on the table for Max Scherzer. They put the money mm-hmm. on the table for Steven Strasburg. They put, you know, they made moves leading up to that World Series win that were designed to make them a contender. And I don't know really that they under, I mean, maybe they don't care at this point because again, this is not a team they plan on on owning for much longer. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they understand, like, what is left for Nationals fans when Juan Soto leaves? Again, this was the, this was the guy that they were going to build around post-Harper. Bad enough that Nationals fans lost, you know, the the previous poster child of the franchise and a guy that they loved and, and appreciated and, and wanted him to be there. The very like you can imagine they all said, well, that sucked. But hey, we got Juan Soto now. And then they won a championship. And for that moment, it had to feel like if you're a Nationals fan, hey, everything has surprisingly turned out great. We have mm-hmm. a player who's better than Harper and younger. We just won a World Series. Like all these cool players are here whom we love. 
And then within three years, it has all gone so completely to hell that you have to wonder if this isn't like, I wouldn't say it's like a death blow for baseball in Washington, but this is really, really going to hurt, especially because they have the just genius timing of doing this right as the Orioles finally start to crawl out of their hole. The Orioles, who have always, always throughout their existence, been the most popular baseball team in that region. Always. How many Nationals fans, particularly fair-weather bandwagon Nationals fans, once Soda gets straight, are going to go, well, the hell with this. I'm going to go back to the Orioles. Are, I mean, are you are they ready for for a 10, for 10,000 people in the seats every night? For no one to be paying attention to them? For every single major free agent to go, that's not where I want to be? I mean, you're, you're, you are guaranteeing that the Nationals, as a franchise, will be irrelevant, completely irrelevant for at minimum the next five years. And, like... I mean, you, you are entirely right. Like, there, in Soto's case, there's no reason to stay. The team around him is terrible. The farm system is bad. Ownership has very clearly got one, out, one foot out the door. There's no plan seemingly in place to make any of this any better. They're already lowballing you in terms of contract offers. I mean, I know it's, it's kind of silly to, or not silly, but kind of weird to think of a 15 year, $440 <laughs> million dollar offer as a lowball. But when you take into account, like you said, that, you know, he's not even a free agent until the end of the 2024 season. They're they're not even paying. They're, they're just buying. Uh, that includes buying out some arbitration years. And the average annual value of that with uh, with everything considered ends up being a shade under 30 million dollars. He wouldn't mm. even be the highest paid player in baseball annually. I think it'd be something like in the bottom 20 of that, which mm. for a, a dude who is 23 years old and is basically looks like Ted Williams, but slightly better already. That has to be an insult. And like some of this too is Scott Boris because Scott Boris does not want his clients to take the to take whatever is just put in front of them. He has a reputation. He has a he has a, a responsibility to his clients, and he also has a reputation that he needs to uphold of getting the most money, however possible. And obviously, whichever team signs Soto, I presume will soon follow up by giving him the biggest contract anyone's ever been given in Major League history. But man, like, I mean, this it just sucks for everyone because it's you can also just see how much Soto just hates this. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I do think that if all things were equal and and the Nationals actually were trying both to build a better team around him and to uh, and to compensate him the way he deserves, he would happily stay there. Like you said, this is a team that, that, that brought him up, that gave him a chance that he won a World Series with, where he, you know, obviously has friends and, and connections in a, in a city that loves him, with a fan base that loves him. And that's all going to go away. All because the learners have decided that they just don't feel like ponying up the money to run a contending major league franchise anymore. That and that's really that is all it boils down to. There's no baseball reason, none whatsoever, not a single on-field reason to trade Juan Soto. None, mm-hmm. zero, absolutely not. I don't care how many prospects the Nationals get back. I don't care how good they are. I don't. It does not matter. You already have Juan Soto. Nothing you get in exchange for Juan Soto, with the possible exception of like. Not even really Otani because Otani's closer to free agency than Soto is. Mm-hmm. It would have to be someone like a. Like, I mean, if the Mariners were to call and say, "We'll do Julio Rodriguez for Juan Soto straight up," mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't, I, 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 I don't know if I even still do that if I'm the if I'm the Nationals. It's it's really really tough. It's really like there, but that's but more to the point that like there are like maybe five guys I can think of, maybe who if the Nationals were offered them one for one would say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. We can't say no to that. Like Juan Soto is great, but this guy is is also great and we'll have him for longer and cheaper. 
But otherwise, no, you, you, there's no reason to do this other than money. No reason whatsoever. And it's especially silly because, it, I mean, what other expenditures does this team have right now? I mean, if you look at it, the fact like, okay, Strasburg and, the Strasburg and Corbin contracts, which are just enormous albatrosses at this point, um, and it's going to be even funnier if part and parcel of the Nationals moving Soto is they require a team to take one of Corbin or Strasburg off their hands. But that's really it. If you're the Nationals, you're just not really spending that much money on it. I mean, there's all this deferred the money. Dodgers, you're players. like, okay, a little bit with Patrick Corbin being a part of it. You're like, all right, whatever. I mean, that is the that is the the, the advantage of the team like the Dodgers had. That's that is how they made the Mookie Betts trade work for them as well yep. as it did because they also were saying, okay, fine, we'll take David Price too. Whatever. Literally, who cares? We yeah, have they'll do that. We have more money than God. It doesn't matter. This is like, why I just think the Dodgers are the team. Like, I just don't know who else can beat whatever. I think the, the Mets Dodgers. could also do it. I just don't know if they'll Cohen do it in the division. No limits it's not that it's just the division aspect to it where i i mean i think that's true and i think that would i mean if if nationals fans don't already want to <laughs> jump into a bathtub with a toaster like that will make them want to do it holding two toasters but or if he were to go to the mets or like the braves or something braves um, do it. they're not no no no. but i love the idea of a soto acuna outfield that's the coolest thing ever but like can you imagine that situation though in the outfield though two of them where it's like they're discussing their contracts yeah. and Acuna is like so is it how many zeros? Uh, yeah, what did Acuna, I? And every, then he's like, wait, wait, what? What is that number? Yeah, Soto is just pulling cash out of his pocket. Yeah. Like, here you go, man. Some walking around money. I know you're. I know you're. Oh right my now. god. Ugh. But yeah, yeah, that's something else we need to prepare for is how much more money Juan Soto is going to make than Ronald Acuna for a very long time. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's going to make more money than. I mean, when Otani reaches free agency, mm. um, or if the Angels give him a contract extension before he gets there, how old I mean, will I, he be when he reaches free agency? What I will believe be? 26, 27, something along those lines. I can't okay. remember off the top of my head. I mean, that he's basically the only guy I can think of, though. Where I mean, because uh, uh, the other ones would be like Tatis, but he's already signed Acuna, but he's already signed. Um, I. I I know some of this is some post-home run derby glow, but Julio Rodriguez is just a phenomenal player, and I think it's going to be another guy we start talking about soon in terms of, like, this dude is going to get a mondo contract, or should, the first chance the Mariners get. But, yeah, it's hard to imagine right now, at least, because you you have to think that whichever team trades for Soto, I don't think there's any chance Soto makes it to free agency because whichever team signs him will have given up so much talent and value in the process that they are almost by default forced to sign Soto to an extension. Because letting him walk after two and a half years and giving up at minimum four or five prospects to do it, boy, like that, you you better be sure that those next two and a half years, you are going to be a real true blue contender. That's why it's only like the Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, and Astros. That's it. Like, I don't don't know who else. I think the Cardinals are part of that group, too. They're obviously not that tier of contender, but I think they have the kind of farm system that can make a deal work. But would they pay him two years from now? I just don't think so. I I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. And look, I personally do not want to see Juan Soto on the Cardinals. Those fans do not deserve him. They also will, like, make his life a living hell because he is a charismatic, flashy player who likes to stand out and there is nothing Cardinals fans hate more than charismatic flashy players who like to stand out if they're of a particular skin color. So 
but look, I, I think you're right. There are only a handful of teams that are really in any position to do this. Thanks to the prospect depth, the money that Soda's going to ask for and their status as contenders. Like we're not, I mean, the pirates could feasibly do it. They have an incredible. <laughs> John. Yeah. I, I John. Say, yeah. Right. John. Right. Oh, no. Right. But like, obviously that's not going to happen. Like it's like, not like the Orioles are going to, are going to trade for Juan Soto. Is it that would be the most would be? incredible twisting of the knife in yeah. DC. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That would be a DC sports apocalypse, but Oh my God. I, again, I just, I don't think it could be overstated how bad this is going to be for the nationals and how bad this is for, for DC sports, how bad this is for, for the, for the fan base there. And to a certain degree, it's just kind of bad for baseball overall that a team has just decided that this, unbelievable superstar one of the five best players in the game no questions about it is just not worth it to them at the age of 23 with two i think it's also just that like if they had i think we do the one thing i will say on the the rizzo learner stuff is that like harper and it's just one of those things where it's like you could have spent everything else but like there are organizations around baseball who give up a lot of picks and they do trade a lot and they do spend a lot and they still maintain good farms and yes, they have not, not, it's not impossible. It's not. And that's the failure is like people are like, oh, they won the World Series and that was it. But it's like there is more to it. Like if they were and look, it's far more complicated than we like to make make it out to be. But it is a part of this is that they were not able to withstand the losses to their farm system while they were going for it, while other organizations could. So there was a play for Juan Soto not to be left on an island or Bryce Harper mm-hmm. to not be left on an island where if they brought them both back, you still could have developed. You still could have yeah, been a great. Just, all it required was better player development. All right. It required and they just didn't have it throughout those years. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, which is not to say that like, it, oh, it was so easy. You pick this guy instead of that guy. Yeah. But like Washington's player development system, Washington's front office, when it comes to this stuff, has been one of the worst in baseball the last five to ten years. Like yep. just flat out awful. With the exception of Soto, which granted an enormous exception, but still, he's mm. still just one guy. Yeah. And even though that one guy is, you know, the the guy that whoever scouted him is going to go out to dinner for forever on. Yeah. Like, Everyone still, knew Bryce Harper was going to be great. Everyone yeah. knew Steven Strasburg was going to be great. Like, there are some where it's like, I don't know, I feel like any organization that drafted Harper or Strasburg. Yeah, it's like you don't really out. get points for that one. It's like yeah. you didn't screw up. That's that's yes. kind of what you, you get points reward. for Spencer Strider. You get yeah. points for guys like, uh, yeah, it's just not. And it's like, and there have been guys like that in Nationals history. Ian Desmond was one of mm-hmm. them. Obviously, Soto is another. Uh, you know, there have been players that they have brought up through their system who have made an impact, but they have not done a good job of that. And that more than anything is the reason we're here, because they failed so utterly to build a team around Soto to stock their roster with guys who can actually help now and in the mm-hmm. future because not, they they have neither currently. That roster yep. right now is probably the worst in baseball. I think the A's are probably right there with them. But, uh, I mean, the Nationals were starting Anibal Sanchez this weekend. I thought he retired three years ago. Anibal like, Sanchez it, never retires. He gets how, better with age. How bad do you have to be as a franchise in terms of player development to get to that point in time where you're just you're, you're basically digging through a dumpster and going, hey, wow, this is – this Anibal Sanchez is missing a, a flexor tendon, but otherwise it's as good as new. I can't believe someone would just throw this out like that. Let's have it start on Saturday. Like, it, that's just that is terrible mismanagement. Anytime you, you end up in a position where you're trading Juan Soto, you have mismanaged things to an egregious degree, to the point where everyone involved should be let go because of that. Like, everyone in the, that Nationals front office should just be completely turned over because they let this happen. They let things get to a point. And obviously, the learners play a big role here, too, but... 
they're again very clearly exiting stage right so you know that's their issue at this point i would like to know though because it's like mark it went to mark the son and he's been running it i think the last couple years i don't really understand why they want to get out of this business like i don't really understand why the learners want to sell to begin with i don't really i mean because at a certain point like anyone who wants to sell a team right now no matter no matter how bad the team is no matter where the team is you can count on getting at least a billion dollars for it yeah but you could years from now like i just i don't know i mean i mean there's there's a potential i mean there's a possibility the learner family just doesn't care anymore there's a possibility that you know they Mm -hmm. have big expenses somewhere else that they need to they need money for there's a possibility that they were never all that liquid in the first place and that this is not an investment that they can really afford to hold on to anymore then you know it well just usually when you get to this point like these owners and especially the older ownership groups they want to this is like a thing like then they want to pass it down in families yeah i, I don't know it's just kind of odd that this I is mean, not it, a passed down situation it also may be a thing that like i like you said the learner's son has been the one running things because yeah mike learner is very old and has been quite sick i think recently a la I peter angelo 98 yeah the, he's very old um or, or like a mike illich situation back in the, mm. in the final days of his ownership of the tigers but I mean, I think you see something similar with like the Tigers with the Illich family that that went from Mike to his son, Chris. And it just doesn't really seem like the current generation of the Illich family is all that interested in running a baseball team. Yeah, because part of this, too, is like the baseball team. This baseball team belongs to the Lerner family because Ted Lerner really wanted a baseball team. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily because they thought it was a great investment, although it obviously was. It's not necessarily because, you know, they, they the civic pride of, of D.C. and like giving the people something to cheer, whatever, you know, whatever pap they want to put out there it's because he wanted a baseball team and now it might, it passes down to some of the families. Like, you know what? I, I actually don't want to run a baseball team. I just want money so I can go do whatever I want. You know, I don't want to be responsible for paying salaries. I don't want to be responsible for dealing with fans and their expectations. I don't want to be responsible. Like I, I can, I can see that it's not to excuse the, the learner family or to give them any, or to, to deflect blame away. Again, this is as much their fault as it is the front offices, mm. but I can at least see that like, Hey, like, they probably they just don't want a team anymore. It's very clear they just do not want this team anymore. And part and parcel of that is, well, then we got to get rid of the guy who's going to cost us the most money to stick around. Because otherwise, because, I mean, again, they're, I mean, I mean, truthfully, if I'm buying the Nationals, I would probably be like, hey, you know what I would prefer having is one of the five best players in baseball still there. Yeah, uh, that would be ideal. I would rather have that than a grab bag of prospects who all of whom have a 10% chance of being as good as Juan Soto is now at any point in their career. I'd rather have Juan Soto. But on the the other hand, I think they could probably argue it's like maybe someone doesn't want to buy a team and also have to take on the $500 million obligation that it will be or $400 million. I just don't understand that, though, because it's like – it's a good contract, and he's a really great baseball player. Be no, it's a great much- contract. There's, there, it's, it's not like this is an absurd number or anything. Yeah. And his like, age won't be crazy, but I, I just no. I it, there's there's no there's no excuse ultimately for because like I said, there's no baseball reason to trade Juan Soto. Trading him makes you a worse team, no matter what the return is, unless they manage to like hypnotize the Steinbrenner family and convince the Yankees to part with like literally their entire farm system there's no way the nationals come out ahead in this trade even if like 15 years from now we add up all the freaking war value or whatever from everyone involved and like actually the nationals came out three four so it that doesn't matter here that just doesn't matter we're past the point where adding up war matters for this kind of stuff you know trading Juan soto is not a good thing and you're not going to win that trade you're not going to come out ahead it's only going to be a bad thing for 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 the nationals and for baseball in dc it's a very good thing for whoever ends up with Juan Soto because they just added one of the five best players in baseball for a bunch of dudes who may never do anything one day. That's great. That's awesome. Good job by whoever that team is, unless it's the Yankees, at which point I will throw all of my electronic equipment into the ocean 
and canoe out into the middle of it and never be seen again. That is my solemn promise that if the Yankees acquire Juan Soto, I will simply disappear. What does that mean for the pod, though? I mean, I guess I can chime in every week or something from a remote location somewhere. But like parts unknown, John Taylor. Parts, yes, very much so. Um, we'll do it like Bear Grylls. I'll just be somewhere deep in the wilderness drinking my own pee. Being like, as long as we don't talk about Yankees outfielder Juan Soto. Although it, it is very funny to imagine the Yankees being like, we got Juan Soto. Now don't ask us about Aaron Judge. Please do not ask us about Aaron Judge. Well, he's gone in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, there's no way he's coming back in that scenario. But of course, I could... It'd be hilarious do, if he was included in the deal, though. Right? <laughs> You send him out in the yeah. all-time great Yankees year. Yeah, Nat, Nats fans, you can tell you can Nationals tell their fans, like, okay, I know we got rid of Juan Soto, but wouldn't you like two months of Aaron Judge hitting dingers? That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, I mean, I, you could do a lot worse in terms of uh, Aaron Judge replacements than Juan Soto, that's for sure. So let's let's make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, Rob I mean, Manfred, Yankees fans will... who'd be like, oh, I don't know. It's like, Judge is not a guarantee. I mean, that's that would be the weirdest but also complete. I would understand every angle of it where I'm like, I, I get where you're coming from. If you're the Yankees, I get it's never going to happen. Let's go no, ahead. You, and make that have, clear. If you are forced to lose Aaron judge, then yeah. the best case scenario for replacing him is okay. Well, we have Juan Soto now, right? Juan Soto will be in the new out the right. And field. it's like, if you, even if like, it's just that they're so good that you can't do it. And he's the AL MVP favorite right now where it's like, you just, yeah, can't. I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, does getting Juan Soto ease the sting of losing Aaron Judge? Like, if yeah. you're a Yankees fan and you're told, we're getting Juan Soto, but that means Aaron Judge is 100% leaving and not coming back. He's going to go somewhere else and play the rest of his career somewhere else. Like, I imagine most, Yan- most Yankees fans I know, and I imagine most Yankees fans overall, I think would take that still. Mm. I think they would hate it to a certain degree. I think they would hate losing Judge because I think they all love Judge. But I think they would take it and I think they would understand it as, look, like it sucks, but the team is better in the future going forward. We we managed to find one of the few players on earth better than Aaron Judge, although I think Judge is a better defender ultimately, but that's that probably comes out in the wash, I think. Yeah, it's 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 just a wild scenario. And again, just the fact that this is like for the next two weeks of between here and the trade deadline, the only conversation through baseball is gonna be Juan Soto, Juan Soto, Juan Soto, Juan Soto. Because the Nationals have put themselves in a place where they now have to trade one of the best players alive. And also the fact that a contender is going to get one of the best players alive in time for a stretch run. Because also if you're the Nationals and you don't trade Juan Soto this summer, you have somehow made a bad situation that much worse. Because that's the other thing. They, they put themselves in a place where they have to trade him. They have to. Because his value will never be higher than it is right now. Especially when you consider the contending teams out there. Like we are one piece shy and that piece might be Juan Soto. Mm. Um, a team that's not one piece shy on offense is the Miami Marlins, who scored like eighteen uh, pieces shy. <laughs> I know. As well, I mean the the rotation is unbelievable. Like they deserve a lot of credit for the rotation. Like the Marlins have more pitching than anyone would know what to do with. Um, but they scored one run over the whole series versus the Phillies before the break. Here, I am. They're the team I'm most curious about because they could make a playoff run. Like they're not out of it. The Phillies are right there. Like. If the Marlins wanted to make a serious run at somebody, like I just I think they have the pieces. Like they have, like I mentioned, they're starting pitching. They have a good farm. I I think they kind of have to show the fan base that they're trying to get to the playoffs and that they're trying to get to that next level because there is so like for Jazz Chisholm, who's a great player, a lot of fun. 
but also just the lineup sucks outside of him yeah. and Cooper. And it's just like, you have to do something, especially because this rotation is extremely good and extremely young. I think they're the most intriguing team to me out of the break because I think they could do a lot of stuff to really make a go of it. And they could be a playoff team with relative ease if they do some stuff. Yeah, I mean, their odds right now are really bad. They're, they have a 2.8% 2, 2. chance of making the playoffs right now. They're five games under 500. They're 14 games back in the East, so that, that avenue is closed to them. Um, with regards to the wild card chase, they're behind, obviously, the Padres, the Cardinals, mm-hmm. the Giants, uh, the Braves, the Phillies. Well, they're behind all teams, you know. They're 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 mm-hmm. really the only they're they're kind of that one team in between the contenders and and the the non-contenders. They're that one team kind of in the, in that little middle limbo. Uh, yeah, I mean, even I mean, yeah, I mean, they're five the and Phillies, a half back. The Phillies and Giants are too. Yeah, like they're yeah. they're not they're not completely out of the car race. I mean, again, the odds are pretty pretty bad. Like you said, this is you, you look at this offense and just looking at some of the guys. Like Jacob Stallings is not a guy they got for his bat, but he has been completely awful behind the plate. Not very good, and not not he's been awful behind the plate, and also not good behind the plate. He's been bad at both aspects mm-hmm. of things. Um, Hayes Aguilar, I know, is you know the guy they love, and, and I think they value a lot for his for his clubhouse leadership and and for you know his his kind of steady performance. Below league average by OPS plus right now at ninety eight. Miguel Rojas, another dude I think who is valued it for for what he brings to the clubhouse, eighty two OPS plus right now. Jorge Soler, last year's uh, World Series MVP, 99 OPS plus, time on the injured list, really has not looked good at any point this season. Uh, the rotating cast in center field of Jesus Sanchez and Brian De La Cruz and other guys is absolutely not working. Aviso Garcia, which, I mean, it, it did not really take a lot when that happened this offseason to say, I don't really get why the Marlins are giving that much money to Aviso Garcia, who has never, ever reached his potential for any, for any uh, decent stretch of time. A 65 OPS plus right now just total disaster. Like the best hitters on this team right now are jazz chisel, Brian Anderson and Garrett Cooper. That's a problem. Like there are a lot of holes in this lineup, a lot of holes. And I think that's what makes me feel like, yes, they have a great pitching staff. Um, one of the best rotations in baseball right now, or at least between uh, Alcantara and Pablo Lopez, two of the best starters in baseball. And then, you know, Trevor Rogers is a guy who should be better than he is, but has also has struggled very badly. Obviously, they have Max. Ma- they just brought up Max Mayer, and who who is um, you know didn't look great in his first start, but you know has a tremendous pedigree and is a top five prospect coming into the season. I mean, if you're the Marlins, I think the question is, given how many holes you have, how do we fill enough of them? You know, is is it a matter of like you know, for, is it something as simple as just like okay, we get Josh Bell and just see how much that does, and maybe we just tinker around the edges? Or I guess that's the thing. It's like what. What are you doing if you're the if you're the Marlins, you know, to get better? Who who are you targeting out there that, that you think is going to make a difference and that's going to be available? You know, if you're looking at, at the non-contending teams who might have something to give you, you know, do you bother the Orioles for Trey Mancini? I mean, does that really make sense? Or for Anthony Santander, is is that enough to make to to make the, the needle move? I mean, I think it, it'd have to be something along the lines of what the Braves did last season, where you're just kind of making a bunch of smaller moves. I think. I, I don't think there's one guy, especially not one guy on offense, who is enough to turn the tables for them. You know, I, I, I don't get that sense. I mean, you, you look at by. Excuse me, just where the where the Marlins rank offensively as a team on the season in Major League Baseball. And it, it it's not pretty, man. It is really, really not pretty. The Marlins by uh, Wade runs creative plus are or sorry. I'm, I'm looking at war. Sorry. 
got to click the right column. Uh, a team weighted runs created plus of 96. That is good for 20th in the league and close to the bottom of the National League as well. Um, not a whole lot of power on this team really at all. Um, they rank 22nd in isolated power at 142. Not a particularly patient team that does, draws a lot of walks. Not a. Th- there's just nothing. Th- overall, it is just a bad. It is a bad offensive group because there's there are a lot of holes here. That outfield is absolutely awful. You know, the, they they need real help at shortstop. I mean, I think, and I think too part of the problem is like, what are you going to do in terms of the long term solutions there? Because the other thing mm-hmm. that's worth noting is Stallings is 32, Aguilar is 32, Miguel Rojas is 33, Soler is 30, Abisal Garcia is 31, Garrett Cooper is 31, John Birdie is 32, you know? The young guys on this team offensively are Jazz and Jesus Sanchez, who's who's really just, who is just it seems like a dime a dozen uh, power hitter who does not know, like, a ball from a strike to save his life, like... They need a, they just they don't just need guys to help them right now. They need a whole ass infusion of young talent into that lineup. And to a certain degree, like some of that is going to come out of their farm system. I mean, Miami's farm system is very, very good at producing pitchers, with the exception of Jazz has not really produced much in terms of hitters. I mean, eventually, like you're looking at guys like Jose Salas, Khalil Watson, uh, Ian Lewis, Yidi Cape, are all guys for on our preseason top 10 for the Marlins. But all of those guys are way, way down in their system. We're talking about A-ball, rookie ball. Maybe some of those guys are going to get to double-A at some point this season. You know, th- there's not a lot of talent immediately coming. It is still a ways away. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do to make that better? Again, it's not just a matter, I think, where this team can just – like, I mean, we know. I know we said, like, this team is not one piece away. It is not simply a matter of, like, you trade for Josh Bell and boom, the Marlins are contenders now. They need to do a lot. And I wonder if at this point this isn't something where you wait till the offseason – see where you are and start thinking, hey, we have a ton of pitching, a huge surplus of pitching. Some of that we've got to start using to get some impact hitters. Yeah. Because they're not coming through our system. We do not have, or we choose not to use the financial resources necessary to sign the guys who would make the biggest difference. I mean, the money they choose to spend is on guys like Avisel Garcia, which is, again, just, I really don't understand that kind of decision-making. So, I, I, I do think this is something where the Marlins probably soft sell at the deadline. See if there is any interest in older guys like Aguilar or like uh, maybe a catcher needy team would be interested in Stallings. Maybe a Brian Anderson would have some interest to somebody, you know, try to see if anyone's interested in biting on Garrett Cooper's hot first half. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know how that works. I mean, I, I think Birdie is another guy where ideally they'd want him healthy, too. Uh, he's on the injured list. right I call now. the White Sox, man. And I see like, what are y'all feeling about Mankata? What are you feeling about Jose Abreu? How are you? See, that's that's a really interesting one is I, I, I don't know so much Abreu because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. So if you're the Marlins, mm-hmm. you're like, well, why not just wait till the end of the till the offseason and just offer him a lot of money? Be like, come home to Miami. Yeah. Like, come closer to home, you know, be the be the veteran to lead this young team. Yep. Like, but a guy like Mankata, I mean, I think, and I think that's the thing. If you're the Marlins, are you, are you going to be looking for like change of scenery guys like that? Or for guys who have not really found that level. And you're like, maybe there's something we can do here and get a bit of a bargain. Because again, if you're the Marlins, you're not going to be playing around in the deep end of the free agent pool. You're not going to be the one trading for, for someone like a Juan Soto to then immediately mm-hmm. give them a, a $400 million extension. That This is not going to happen. So maybe it does have to be someone like a Mankata, especially considering he is already cost controlled to a certain degree to be like, hey, we know you're we know what you're going to cost. 
We know what you're capable of. You're not, you're not blocking anyone in our system. We've yeah. got time to just let you try to work things out. Maybe being in a place where it's warm all the time, where you're closer to home, where you're in a community that's a little closer to, to what Cuba's community is like, where you can just, especially where you can just do these things kind of anonymously. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just, you can just hit down here away from, and then obviously it's not like the White Sox or Chicago necessarily is like a, you know, it's, it's, it's not like a big fl- flashing bright lights on all the time, but maybe it's just something where it's like, Hey, there's no pressure here. You know, mm-hmm. we're, 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 a, we're always a dark horse. We're a 500 team most years, like, or ideally a 500 team most years. Like we've got a lot of good young pitching, you know, you can be the face of our lineup, you know, without any reservations, you and jazz can make a fun team together. I don't know. I mean, I think that, I, but I think well, that we're kidding. Of, they're just trading for the A's outfielder. They're trading for Ramon Laureano, and that's just that would be extremely it. funny if the Marlins decided that the solution to their problems was Ramon Laureano. Like I, I mean, but that's the kind of thinking that would just suggest, oh no, that no one here really gets it. Like you're just constantly putting band aids on gaping wounds because you don't really either you don't have any other ideas or the other ideas available to you are just not cost effective enough. I, I wish Jeter would have spoke out more about like what. But I, I think like. that's. But I think that's part of why he left because I think he was part of why he left is because he didn't feel like he had the um, the say. I think he wanted to for someone who, quite frankly, uh, you know, had much of a say. He was a minor owner who contributed very little to the to the sale overall in terms of the money. Like, you know, just because you're Derek Jeter doesn't mean everyone has to sit down and listen to you all the time or that you get to decide which way a franchise goes. But I think part of that, too, is the feeling on Jeter's part that, hey, this team is not actually doing the things that they need to do to be a real contender. You know, signing Avisail Garcia is not a contender move. That's a, that's something that, like, the Brewers do at the end of the offseason because they go, ah, crap, we forgot about left field. Fine, whatever. Like... I, I I don't I, I think that is part of it that just like I don't know necessarily that Marlin that the, the, the Marlins front office slash ownership group is really going to do the things necessary to make them better in the way they need to be better because I think there is probably um what's what's the way to put this? There's probably a a sense there that like hey we're only going to do this if it makes sense for us money wise. Like mm. we're not going to give up a lot of prospects because they are cheap and they are productive. And that's what we need down here because we are a small market franchise. You know, we're not going to trade for Juan Soto because you kidding. We don't have Juan Soto money. Get the hell out of here. We are a farm system team. We're a player development team. That's how we're going to make our bones going forward. Every now and then we'll do something in free agency or send a few of these prospects away for, for, you know, some other guys which is why I think a guy like Moncada probably would end up making the most sense for them. But I, I don't see them being the type to make the kind of moves necessary to get, especially because I, I, and I think this is another problem for the Marlins. Like you're in the same division as a Mets team who owned by one of the richest men, by the richest owner in the sport and one of the richest men in the country, a Braves team that is just fantastic at player development and has superstars all over the place. A Phillies team that, well, they're, they're the Phillies. I mean, Okay, I guess I kind of ran out of stuff there. I mean, the one consolation you have is that the Nationals are about to get even worse and are just going to be like firmly occupying the basement of the. I mean, the whole thing is like you can't be here afraid of that because the expanded playoff. Like you're five. No, but I and I and I I wouldn't be. But I I think that might be part of the the. I think it might be one part of the mindset there is like, hey man, this division is really tough. Like, what would be the point of us spending 140 million dollars just to get steamrolled by the Mets? But I think also that becomes a self defeating kind of loop of like. 
that's why you don't make the big moves because you're so afraid of the other big teams. Like, no, you, yeah. you need, you need to get to their level too. Otherwise you're just going to be forever here in 500 land. And I do think that was probably a big part of why Jeter left is probably the feeling of this team's not actually going anywhere. This team is this, the rest of these guys who run this team and own this team are content just for this, for them to be an 80 something win team that maybe gets into the playoffs through a wild card spot, you know, and that doesn't spend more than $90 million on payroll in a given year. And I, I guess that's the thing. I, I don't know how if you're the I mean, you can do that if you're the Rays because you're you're just geniuses when it comes to player development. But as we've seen already several times in the last few years, there's a really pretty, pretty like a pretty tough ceiling to that approach. I think the A's are also a good example of that, of like if you try to run a baseball team on the cheap, like that's just not going to work like that often. Like you really, really have to grind to make it work. And it really does just limit your upside, you know. Whereas, like, instead of being a team like the Yankees, where you're like, oh, we have this great player development, and also we're just going to give Garrett Cole $300 million. Or same with the Bra- or the Dodgers, where it's like, you know, we have the greatest player development machine in baseball. Let's also give Freddie Freeman $140 million. Like, you ha- you have to do that if you really want to contend. You-, you just do not have a choice at a certain point. We'll end on this. Fact or fiction, John? Andrew Benatende is a Milwaukee brewer after the trade deadline. I can see it if only because that's that that feels like the kind of smaller move that a team like Milwaukee usually makes is that they don't really go after the stars. They go after the guys, especially since Ben Intendi will be a free agent uh, going after a guy on the cheaper side of things who probably won't cost that much in the way of of prospects or in terms of like impact prospects. You're probably moving one B prospect and maybe like a couple lottery tickets along with it. Uh, I I don't know Milwaukee's farm system well enough to, to say whether or not, you know, that's the kind of thing that they could afford to do. I don't, think the brewers have an awful farm system i don't know if they have a great one i imagine it's somewhere in the middle there um yeah i mean i i can totally see that i mean i think as we said before like ben intendi makes sense for a lot of teams although it's funny now given that he is not vaccinated since he did not make the trip with the royals to toronto i really do wonder if that makes him a total non-starter for the yankees um given that they have games left in toronto would theoretic could theoretically face toronto in the postseason in toronto um I mean, it's very funny that Andy, that Ben Intendi's vaccination status is probably going to cost the Royals uh, the chance to get the most they possibly could for him. So good job, Andrew Ben Intendi. Good job, Royals. Just all A, A plus is all around. Ten guys, ten guys not vaccinated who didn't make that trip to Toronto. That is There's still some crazy takes coming out there. Like Andrew Wiggins out here crazy. saying this week that he's like, uh, I regret. Like they just won the title. And that doesn't have, like they just won the title and there is regret about getting the vaccination. Like what? what? It's what? it's beyond me. It's completely what? beyond me at this point. It is so, so past beyond me. I cannot believe this is still a conversation at this point in time that we're having. Like I guess it just it blows the mind. But like at least when it comes to um, at least when it comes to Milwaukee, I think it makes sense to me right now. They're running uh, Jace Peterson out in right field uh, with Jonathan Davis as, as the backup there. I know they have Tyrone Taylor on the injured list with a concussion. He'll be back at some point, theoretically. But one, Tyrone Taylor is not a guy you're like, oh, we can't block Tyrone Taylor. Two, concussions are incredibly tricky things. You know, there's no way of knowing exactly how well he's going to come back from that or when. Um, I think also, you know, anything. I mean, I don't know. Ben Intendi's not a great defensive outfielder, so I don't know if that's something that can get Hunter Renfro out of center necessarily. Um, but still, like I, I, Ben Intendi is obviously an upgrade on Jace Peterson. He's obviously an upgrade on Jonathan Davis. He's obviously an upgrade on um, whatever else the Brewers have in their system, unless they are, you know, currently dying to bring up uh, 
I mean, Joey Weimer is one of their top prospects, but he's still in double A. I, I cannot imagine. And South Relic, too. So the, both of them are down in double A right now. I can't imagine the Brewers are planning on bringing them up that quickly. Um, to, to, and Garrett Mitchell as well. All, all three of the, I guess that's the thing. The Brewers, eventually, they will have a better outfield if those guys pan out. But obviously, they're not ready. They're not ready now. I can't imagine the Brewers, uh, who are also a team that does not like spending a huge amount of money, would want to get service time clocks started on those guys. Um but yeah, I, I think Ben Intendi could make a good difference there, and especially too for a Brewers team that you know you look at the playoff odds right now in the NL Central. The Brewers are ha- only half a game up on St. Louis, one game in the last column. They're tied at fifty wins. Uh, they're just not a team you like. They're good. They'll be in the playoffs, but it's like the Dodgers, the Mets, the Braves. They just don't feel like they're. I mean, the Padres. They feel like the fifth, maybe sixth best team in the. And that well, it's think, weird. They're just floating. Like there's no no one's betting money on the Brewers getting out of the NL as currently. Not, I mean, no. I mean, the the presence of Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff obviously helps, but obviously part of the problem there is that offensively this team is is not that strong at the moment. I know Rowdy Telez has had a great season, and Willie Adams has been very good, but you know the 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 fact that Chase that so Chase that Christian Yelich is just very clearly not going to be his MVP self again, that whatever it was that has happened to his back has just become, you know, has just sapped some significant amount of power. And it's really hard to see that coming back just randomly out of nowhere. I mean, if you're the Brewers right now, again, you're, you're basically tied with St. Louis for the NL central lead. Um, If you slip out of it, you're suddenly in a very, very tight wild card race for the second and third spots with the Phillies, the Padres, the Phillies, the Padres and the Giants. Um, as I guess the Braves are the number one wild card seed or number one wild card right now, but obviously mm. they're part of that mix too. I mean, we've got Milwaukee's chances of winning the division at 64% to St. Louis is 36%. Hmm. So we still like them as the favorite, but at the same time, again, they're only separated by half a game right now with two months of the season to go. Whatever boost Ben Intendi can provide over Jace Peterson or whoever it happens to be the rest of the season, that is that matters so much more to a team like the Brewers than it would to say the Yankees, you know, where their, their mm. playoff spot is guaranteed. They don't have to worry about it. Getting Ben Intendi really would just be about upgrading from Joey Gallo, you know, or, or similarly with, um, I mean, I, I don't think they would, they would acquire him, but let's say the, the Dodgers were to get Andrew Ben Intendi, you know, similar mm. thing. Like that's about depth. That's not about making the playoffs for the Brewers. It's really about not just making the playoffs, but also winning the division. Cause you also don't want to be the wild card. You want that division. Cause like you said, they are not the part of that top tier of contenders. They're not the Dodgers. They're not the Mets. They're not the Braves, you know, they are going to need every advantage they possibly can to go their way in order to make in order to make an actual run. And Ben Intendi not only helps you possibly secure the division or at least improve your postseason chances, but he also makes you better in the postseason. You know, I think you'd much rather have Andrew Ben Intendi taking important at bats in October than you would Jace Peterson. I, I feels like I'm crapping yeah. on Jace Peterson, but it's like it's just that he just happens to be the guy standing in right field for the Brewers right now. Yeah. Um, which is funny because Ben Intendi, I think, plays left field, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's fine. So, yeah, I, I can totally see it for Milwaukee. I think it would make sense, again, given that he's an impending free agent and the cost should not be terribly high. And obviously, Milwaukee doesn't have to worry so much about, oh, what happens if we have to go to Toronto? I mean, if, if they have to go to Toronto, there a lot of things have gone particularly well in that scenario. And I have to think, too, that if the freaking World Series is on the line, they can get Andrew Ben to sit down and take a shot. It's really not that hard. 
Also, um, just my, the Blue Jays, man. We didn't have time for that today, but Montoya getting fired when they have a plus yeah, differential and they're going to be a playoff very, team. I don't understand that one at all. I, I'm going to chalk that one up to, I mean, we know so little in terms of if we're not, uh, aside from beat writers, no one really That's knows. a behind the scenes issue. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's, I, I think there's some clubhouse stuff going on in there that it does feel like one of those things where it's like this guy, I wonder if this guy has just lost the clubhouse. You know, I wonder yeah. if like these guys have just started to tune him out. I wonder if it's something where it's, you know, the, the ownership and front office are like, we don't like, I, I don't know. I don't, you just I don't see not, a team that's making the playoffs. That's eight games over 500 or whatever they are. Make a change like that. Middle league, no, and unless I, I it's something it's, behind the scenes. Yeah. And I think like with, with Joe Girardi and, um, and Joe Madden, I think it was a lot easier to understand why they were getting fired. Those teams were slumping. Mm. They had been, you know, Gir- neither Girardi, no Matt, nor Madden had really shown in previous years that they were really getting anything extra out of this team. Like, it's like, what's the point at a certain rate mm-hmm. with Montoya? It seemed like I, I had always thought he was well liked by his players. It always seemed like they, they played hard for him. I can't really speak to his managerial decisions. I, I don't watch enough Blue Jays baseball to get a sense of, you know, what he's like as a decision maker. I know that from the Blue Jays fans, I know online, a lot of them were not really thrilled with the way he made pitching decisions, particularly when it came to pulling starters and, and putting in relievers. But yeah, I, I'm going to chalk that one up mostly as a behind the scenes thing that like there's some there's clearly some disconnect between Montoyo and the players and or between Montoyo and the front office that, you know, they just felt uh, couldn't be rectified. I will say, though, shout out to new Blue Jays interim manager, John Schneider, a very nice guy, another career uh, minor league dude. I've talked to him. A grinder. A grinder. Definitely. I talked to him a handful of times when I did a story on Vlad Jr. a couple of years ago. Could not have been a nicer guy. So hmm. very happy. To Brian see Snicker vibes here. Yeah, which is funny because Montoya also gave off plenty of Brian Snicker vibes as a career minor league coach who'd grinded yeah. his way to this point. So, and I think that, I mean, again, I don't know Montoya and I don't know why this necessarily happened, but it is kind of a bummer for him to have made it to this point, to have had that success, but then ultimately just to get kind of just booted to the side because like, eh, this isn't really working anymore so long. You know, that, that, that's got to be very tough for him. I'm sure he'll resurface somewhere probably as a, a bench coach or, White or Sox something else. Year? Boy, when we get to the when we get to the offseason, we start discussing who should replace Tony Larusa as White Sox manager. That's that's going to be a fun one because I'm just going to lean into the mic and just keep yelling Joe Madden over and over again because I just want to see how it can get worse. I only want. Well, I think to if see there's a managerial change, I think it's a whole front office. I think everybody's out. So no, yeah, I've, I've, interesting. I've, I mean, I've already I've already said many times that I think this White Sox season is more than enough justification to get rid of both Tony Larusa and Rick Hahn. Mm-hmm. Um, that neither has proven that they deserve to have another chance to, to keep doing this. But yeah, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see too, if Toronto decides not to stick with Schneider long-term, what they're going to do managerial managerially. Um, Cause again, that's a, we, we love that team. They're, they're a playoff team. There are a lot of super interesting young players there. You know, it's really tough division, but I mean, they're going to make the playoffs this year more, more likely than not. And, you know, they have all the tools to make a big old run if they really feel like it. There you go. John Taylor, how do the good folks check out uh, what's going on at Fangraphs this week? What would you like to play as we wrap up here tonight? So uh, a lot of the stuff we've done this week has been obviously all-star week, but especially draft uh, oriented. Like I mentioned earlier, Eric Longenhagen did a big day one draft recap team by team going through their picks from the first and second rounds and giving his thoughts. He'll do that again, wrapping up days two and three uh, with some guys he wants to note and some other trends that he finds interesting. Uh, Jay Jaffe is taking advantage of the late of the lit, uh, excuse me, of the current temporary baseball break to do a quick bit of Hall of Fame stuff. He had a piece today on the guys who have most improved their chances at Hall of Fame 
induction or best improve their hall cases over the course of the season. So Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Jose Altuve, Mookie Betts, uh, you know, the list goes on. Freddie Freeman on there as well. Um, we'll have a, a few more things just around the All-Star game and around All-Star week. But then obviously Thursday, the season picks back up. Um, so stay with us there. Come on over to Fangraphs for all the looking ahead to the second half and all the, the fun that's going to be. And especially to the trade deadline, August 2nd, just two weeks away now. Obviously, like I said, a lot of the focus is going to be Soto, but we'll be covering every deal as it happens. We'll be having we'll do an analysis both from the, the major league side and from Eric on the prospect side of who gets moved in all these deals. So um, these next two weeks are obviously the biggest of the season in terms of the, the on-field stuff that happens. And, you know, we will be there covering every last bit of it as we always do. There you go. John Taylor, always a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. All right, that'll do it for part one here on a Wednesday, July 20th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you, as always, for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to the program. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, my weekly conversation with Fangraph's John Taylor to talk all things Major League Baseball. If you did and you, not, and you have not already done so, make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if that is indeed how you listen to the program. As always, you can watch us and keep up with us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff. And then get in touch with the program at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. All right, Rusty Wright, UTC, Chattanooga, head football coach coming up right after this. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.